Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. He is risen. It's good to see everybody this morning. My name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here. It really is an honor uh, that you would come out on a Resurrection Sunday and just celebrate with us. And um, this morning, as we're continuing to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be looking at the resurrection account that's found in the 24th chapter of the gospel according to Luke. And while you're turning there, I just wanted to say that in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that Speaking of the resurrection, he says, you know what, if the resurrection isn't, didn't really happen, in other words, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus are pretty much fools. Um, we should be pitied because we are following someone who lied to us and our sins have not been forgiven. Um, and if that's the case, then our lives don't have the meaning we thought it had, so we might as well eat, drink, and be merry. You guys have heard that before, because tomorrow we die. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we believers would say that life loses its meaning, doesn't it? For the follower of Jesus, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, our meanings have, our life has lost its meaning. Life doesn't make sense. And this week, as I've been studying, as I've been reading, as I've been meditating on Luke 24, our passage for this morning, I have tried to put myself in the shoes of the disciples on the day of Jesus' crucifixion. How in horror, think about this, in horror, they witnessed their master. They witnessed the good shepherd they witnessed their purpose for living. They witnessed their reason for living, which was found in Jesus Christ. They witnessed all of that being crucified and put to death on a Roman, a wooden Roman cross. And for three days in their lives, after Jesus breathed his last, for three days, life didn't make sense to them because they had forgotten one thing the resurrection. And I believe during those three days, those disciples, as they were gathered together, afraid, confused, I believe they were asking one question. And the question is, why? Why didn't he save himself? Why didn't Jesus defend himself? Because everybody Everybody knew that Jesus was innocent. Pilate knew he was innocent. He was trying to, to let him go. Uh, the thief on the cross, remember the thief? There were th two thieves, one on his right. I believe it was the one on his right. He believed that he was innocent, and he stood up for him. Even the centurion, when Jesus breathed his last, he looked at him and said, that man is innocent, the Son of God. I think even the chief priests, in their heart of hearts, knew that Jesus was innocent. And yet, he did not save himself. He could have saved himself if he would have pleaded for himself. But he stood silent like a lamb 
before its shearers. Why? That's the question I think that the disciples were asking for those three days. Why did it have to end in death? In chapter 23, the chapter of Luke, that's uh, chapter 23 before chapter 24, that's, that usually comes before 24, it ends, it ends, y'all like, man, y'all are deep in this church. It ends with the body of Jesus being taken down from the cross, being laid in a tomb that was cut in stone where no one had ever whose body had never been laid. And then in verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 55, it says that the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then it ends on this verse, then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, the ladies rested according to the commandment. That's the way that chapter 23 ends, and we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 24. And what I want you to do is I want you to try to hear this. If you've, if you've never heard this before, this will be your first time. But if you've heard it before, I want you to try to hear it with new ears this morning, okay? Verse 1, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, this is speaking of the women, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Now, I want to ask you a question about these ladies. What, what do you think these ladies were expecting to find that Sunday morning when they went to the tomb? Well, we know that they were not expecting to find an empty tomb. Because in verse 2, it says that they brought spices with them. What were they planning to do? They were planning to embalm the body of Jesus, which was the custom of the Jews. And then in verse 4, it says that when they couldn't find the body, they didn't rejoice. What were they? They were perplexed. That word means to be anxious, to be puzzled. Kind of like if you go home today after this service and your front door's open and you're like, I know we locked that front door. You're perplexed. What, what just happened here? So that's what they're thinking about when they see the empty tomb. They were probably uh, wondering, I wonder if maybe we came to the wrong tomb, and they're like, no, this is the right place. What were they expecting to find? The truth is they were expecting to find nothing out of the ordinary. They were expecting to find the dead body of a man who had convinced them to give up everything when he was alive, to give up everything, to give up their lives, to give up their possessions, to give up their families, and to follow him. And he promised them that they all had prominent places in his messianic kingdom. That's what they had lost in their minds. And they were expecting to go in to the cave, unwrap a cold, stiff, and decaying body, embalm it with the spices that they had prepared, rewrap the corpse in grave clothes, pay their last respects, seal the tomb off again, and then try to make sense of life now that their hope was gone. 
you know what they were doing? They were living like Jesus was still dead. And therefore, life didn't make sense anymore. But why? That's the question we need to ask. Why were they living like Jesus was dead? That's what the angels ask, isn't it? They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Actually, they were not seeking the living among the dead. They were seeking the dead among the dead. But it's like the angels are saying, look, you have seen the empty tomb. So why are you confused? Why aren't you celebrating and worshiping God? And I'll tell you why. It's because they had forgotten what Jesus had told them when he was alive. Verse 6 says, he is not here, but has risen. And look at that word, remember. Remember. Now reach Life Church. You know what I'm about to say, right? Todd, thank you for remembering that. We are a forgetful people, but we forget that. And we are distracted, and we can often forget what we know. If they say, remember how he told you that while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. Now, that word must be, that phrase there, uh, it can also be translated, it was necessary. It was necessary. So you could read this passage as, he told you while he was still in Galilee that it was necessary that the Son of Man be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise from the dead. Now, I want to look at where did Jesus say that? There is a record of Jesus saying that several places in all the Gospels. Matthew 17 is one of them, verse 22 and 23. It says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. You see that? He told them, I'm going to die. It's kind of like Larry Bird. If you've ever watched any of these NBA documentaries, if you don't know who Larry Bird is, he was one of the greatest basketball players of all time, but one of the reasons that he's respected is because he would tell you what he was going to do before he did it, and then he would go and do it. Jesus is greater than Larry Bird. Amen? <laughs> he created Larry Bird, actually. But I lost my place here. Okay, so... <laughs> um. He said, I'll be raised on the third day, okay? And, uh, but look at the, what it says afterward, after that. And they were greatly distressed. They were greatly distressed. Why were they greatly distressed? Well, it's not because Jesus told them that he would be raised on the third day. I think it's because they couldn't get past the part of him dying. In their minds, they had plans for this Messiah, right? In their minds, the Messiah was supposed to remain. He was supposed to rule. He was supposed to uh, overthrow the, the Roman government that was oppressing them. And then he was supposed to rule forever, and they were going to rule with him. So in their minds, he doesn't need to die. And yet, Jesus clearly told them, he clearly tells them, it is necessary for him to be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. That's going to come up again in our passage. So, But I'm going to just... 
I just wanted to point that out right now. He says it was necessary. All right, verse 8. And they remembered his words. The women remembered Jesus' words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words, these words of the women seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Some of your translations might say they would not believe them. They, they refused to believe them. Now, when it says that, that their words seemed to be an idle tale, Tale. That word, uh, that phrase there, idle tale, is the same word Greek medical writers used to describe someone who had a fever and was out of their mind and was speaking incoherently. Their, their testimonies sounded like complete and utter nonsense to the disciples who had been with him. And I can kind of relate here to uh, these disciples, can't you? I mean, I want you to think about it. When you're sharing your faith to someone who doesn't believe, I want, to, I want you to hear this, what I'm about to say, that we believe, and it's like, oh, yeah, we sing about this every week. I'm going to read some things here, and you just try to hear it from like a unbelieving mind. Jesus was in heaven. Jesus left heaven and was born of a virgin. Think about that. A virgin had a baby. He never sinned, not one time did he sin. And though he was innocent, he died in our places, in our place for our sins. He was buried, and then he came back to life on the third day. He appeared just to his disciples, and then he floated back up into heaven, and he's coming back on a white horse. And those who are unbelieving are like, is the Easter bunny coming with him and the tooth fairy and Santa Claus? Because what I'm just sharing here sounds so unbelievable, doesn't it, to the natural mind. And so in some ways, we shouldn't be surprised that the response of the disciples was uh, that the resurrection sounded like an idle tale to them, even though they were the closest people to Jesus and they had heard him. Sometimes it takes time for the truth to sink in, doesn't it? Verse 12 says, after hearing these things, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. He's either getting closer to believing. That word wondered is one of those that um, scholars debate over whether he's getting closer to believing or if he's still just scratching his head going, I don't, what in the world just happened? Verse 13, that very day. Now, okay, this is one of my favorite passages of the resurrection, because we're going to get to see Jesus's personality in a way that doesn't typically come out in the other gospels or in other passages. We're going to look at verses 13 through 32. I want you to look at and see how Jesus responds to these two disciples. That very day, two of them, two of these disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles 
from Jerusalem. Seven miles to walk probably takes two, two to three hours to walk that. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Here, here it comes. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Now, did he know what they were talking about? Yes, he knows what they're talking about. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? If anyone knew what happened, he knew what happened. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had, uh, that they had even seen a, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, they did not see. Once again, they are living like Jesus is still dead. So what does Jesus say to them? Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now I want you to notice here that Jesus doesn't try to comfort them by saying, Oh, you poor guys. It's been a really tough three days, and I know you guys have been a lot, been through a lot. I understand why you're sad. I understand why you're confused. I understand why you're hopeless. And I understand why you don't believe what I told you when I was here with you. I get it. No, he doesn't do that. He actually gives them a, a kind of a soft rebuke. He says, oh, foolish ones. This, this phrase, oh, foolish one, is a phrase that pertains to the unwillingness of someone to use their mental faculties in order to understand and discern. You know what he's doing here? Jesus is doing here? It's like, hey, guys, he's rebuking them for not using their minds uh, he's, and reasoning with the facts that have been laid before them. They, if you go back and look at what they described, they described everything Jesus said was going to happen. And they're like, but we don't know where he's at. You know, we don't, we, we'd hoped he, he was the one. And, you know, I know that Christians, sometimes we can have the reputation uh, for being those people that kind of check our brains at the door, you know, and we just blindly believe whatever we're told. And I know that that's uh, our fault for a lot of times we simplify things when, when really uh, the, the faith of Christ is an intelligent faith. Uh, and it has been said by some skeptics that, and these, I'm going to say uneducated skeptics, and I'll, I'll explain why I'm calling them uneducated in just a second, but some uneducated skeptics would say that the resurrection account wasn't a part of the original gospel. 
that it was uh, added later. It wasn't with uh, the disciples when they originally preached it. It is a legend that was embellished over time and that the future disciples, decades later, you know, kept making it more and more. And finally they said, and he rose from the dead. And that might seem like a plausible argument until you realize something that, and here's why I said uneducated, that nearly every prominent biblical scholar who has studied the resurrection, and this is whether they are a skeptical scholar, this is whether they are an atheist scholar, this is whether they are a right-wing conservative scholar. They almost unanimously agree that the resurrection account was not added to the story. Um, It's been a part of the gospel from day one. And uh, we don't have time to to go into this. Uh, I've preached sermons on this in in previous uh, Resurrection Sundays. Um, And listen, I've got some resources I can share with you. I would love to to get together and talk to you about this. But the people that, um, that are scholars do not think that the disciples made up the story. They really believe that the disciples saw something. They experienced something that convinced them that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, I'm not saying that these skeptics believe it was Jesus being raised from the dead. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a skeptic, right? But they would say they don't think that the disciples were trying to trick people. Um, And they've come up with uh, their own ideas of what it was. Some would say that they were all hallucinating together. They would say that they went to the wrong tomb. They would say that Jesus pretended to be dead, and then he came back. And if we had time, I would unpack each one of those and show you that it, it actually caused, you've got to have more faith to believe those, or at least as much faith to believe those, as it would be just to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And the, the point I'm getting at is that, that these two disciples confessed things about Jesus of Nazareth that were true. Notice they said he was a prophet Mighty indeed. They saw with their eyes. They saw him walk on top of water without sinking. They saw him heal the sick. There's no doubt that days before his crucifixion, they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. They were there when Jesus did that. And they also heard him speak. Now, this is the thing about Jesus that people would say that his words and his teachings were were not like they're religious leaders. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. Demons shuddered and shrank back in, the, in, in his presence, and even nature obeyed him. And one of the greatest things about Jesus is that he transformed lives. He welcomed prostitutes and swindlers and the religious people who would come to him. He was the king of outcasts, the nobodies, the weak. Those who are unimpressive, they know they're never going to be anything in this world. He said, come to me. Come to me. Surrender your life to me, and I'm going to give you eternal meaning for your life. These two disciples saw this, saw him firsthand. And then they saw him die at the hands of sinful men. Listen, they knew and they believed the good news about Jesus right up to the grave. 
and no further. They didn't go to the next level, to the resurrection. And that is not enough. That is not enough. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary? There it is again. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Why was it necessary that the Christ should suffer? The very things that his disciples couldn't uh, get their heads wrapped around, they couldn't get past this. They didn't understand why it was necessary. And this is what most people who don't think they need Jesus, don't get either. This, in church, this is what we sometimes can forget, that it was necessary for our sins to be paid for. And we have two choices. When it comes to paying for your sins, you have two choices. You can pay for them yourself. And if so, you will, you will face the wrath of God, separated from God for eternity in a place called hell, or you can let somebody else pay for your sins. 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous. That's you, that's me. And here's why it was necessary, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit to God and to one another. Let me ask you something. Are you afraid to die? I want you to think about that, the truth. Are you afraid to die? And on one hand, we should be. If, if you're not totally perfect. Because only perfect people go to heaven. Only perfect people get to go to heaven. Nothing imperfect will ever enter into the gates that lead into the kingdom of heaven. And guess what? When I hear that, I'm like, woe is me. That, that's a truth. That is true. But woe is me because I, <laughs> I know better than anybody that I am not perfect. And Jesus knows that we're not perfect. And knowing this, he left heaven. He took on flesh. He became a man. He lived perfectly among us so that he could be the sacrificial lamb of God who was punished in our place for our sins. And then he rose again from the dead so that he can clothe us in his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. It's called the great exchange. Jesus switches places with us. He gets credit for what we are or have done or have not done that we should have done and was punished for it. We get credit for what he did, his perfect life, when we switch places, when we accept what Christ did. That's the good news. That is the wonderful good news that we celebrate week after week day after day. And this is the good news that Jesus is sharing with these two disciples on the road 
to Emmaus. And you know how he does it? He does it by using scripture. He points them back to scripture, which points to him. That's what we, I love our Reach Kids uh, curriculum, the, the way that we are teaching our kids that everything about the Bible, all the stories in the, in the scriptures point to a bigger picture, to a bigger story, and that is Jesus. Verse 28 says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. And here he goes again. Here comes Jesus. He acted. He acted as if he were going farther. What, what did that look like for him to pretend like? He knows they're going to ask him to stay, but he's, you know, he's, all right, I'll talk to y'all later. And what do they do? But they urged him strongly saying, no, 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 no. Stay with us for it is toward evening and, and the day is now far spent. So he said, okay. And he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And it says what? Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then he vanished. He's fun, isn't he? I would love that to happen to me, wouldn't you? They said to each other, I knew it was him. No, they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Didn't our hearts burn within us? Have you ever had that? Where you're hearing the word of God and your heart's just like, yes, I love that. Preach that, teach that. That's what they're doing when they're walking with Jesus. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. I guarantee you it did not take them two to three hours to get back. Probably 30 to 15 minutes to get back. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. And those who were gathered together were saying this, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Peter. At some point, Jesus revealed himself to Peter and Peter went back to the rest of them. He said, I've seen him. And they're excited about this. And verse 35 says, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me. Touch me and see. It's, it's really me. I'm not a spirit. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He's saying, I really rose from the dead bodily. It's really me, the person that was with you beforehand. And when he had said this, verse 40, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved, for joy, okay? That's a different disbelief. I can't believe this. This cannot, this is awesome for joy and marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Verse 44 says, then he said to them, these are my words. These are my words. 
That's, that's, you see that all throughout this passage? Why didn't you believe what he said? That's what the angels say to the ladies, right? Jesus says that on the road to Emmaus. Foolish ones, don't you believe? Here he goes again. These are my words that I have spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, everything written about me, there's his words again, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then I love this verse. This is a, this is a verse that you can pray for yourself. Then he's, he's, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Lord, open my mind. Help me to understand your scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. This gospel he's saying is for everybody. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out after 40 days. He led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hand, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And look at this. And they what? Worshipped him. This is just a kind of a, a hint at his deity. They worshipped you only worship God. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They are no longer living like Jesus is dead because they believe. And you know what the marks are? When you ask yourself, do you believe afresh that Jesus is alive? You know how you know you are? Because you will be filled with worship and continual praise. Your life will, will, will come forth with praise and worship to Jesus, and you'll live your life for God. Their lives, once again, have eternal purpose. And so I want to close with asking you a question. Are you living your life like Jesus is alive or like he is still dead? And I'm asking the church this, and I'm asking you who have never maybe come to Christ, you know that you are living your life like he is uh, still dead. You know this is true of you because, and, and you know what I'm about to share is, this isn't something we like to talk about publicly, but you know that you're living like Jesus is dead when you're alone. And the truth is, if you're honest, you would say, you know, my life, does not make sense. You get up in the morning, day after day, you go to work or maybe to school or maybe you're at home, you're doing dishes, changing diapers, you're doing laundry. You may even go to church and when you talk to people, you're like, I'm good, life's fine. But if you're really honest, you'd have to admit that your life, in your mind, does not make sense. And that's why you might be distracting yourself with working late hours. Maybe you're binging on Netflix or sports or uh, you're looking for that next challenge or that goal that's out there that you can reach that will keep you occupied until you conquer it. Or, and once you get it conquered, you're kind of bored with it and you're like, well, what's next? 
Or maybe you're medicating yourself with food, with drink, with sex, with uh, medications. You're using things to dull the pain. And the truth is, we all, myself included, have this deep, deep desire to know that the life that we are living counts for something bigger than ourselves. And we know whether in the front of our minds, we, but we know at least deep down inside that everything that we've accumulated, um, everything that we've ever accomplished, death is going to strip us of it. We can't take it into the next life. You can't hold on to life. And it, it slips through our fingers um, like grease. And before, it, before you know it, if you live long enough, you're going to have more years behind you than that lay ahead. And you're like, my life, what does it even amount to? I, I look at my life on, on occasions, and I look back at, at my family. And I've got pictures on the wall of my kids, and I mean, when I used to hold my daughters and dance with them and put them into bed, and they looked at me like I was Superman, then they found out I was Clark Kent. But I look back, it can make me really, what's it all about? It's gone. I can't go back to that. And that's when Jesus comes in, isn't it? That's where Jesus comes in. And he's made some promises to us. Number one, he said, I will die for you. Did he do that? Yes. He said, I'm going to rise from the dead. Did he do that? Yes. And he makes some other promises to us. He says, I will save everyone who comes to me. If you come to me, I will not cast you out. He also says, I will quench your thirst, that thirst for life. Whoever, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty. He says, I will give you eternal purpose, no matter how old you are. No matter how old you are, whether you are young, if you're really young and you understand what I'm saying, the gospel here, and you're putting your faith in him, you can do that today. Or if you are old, and I'll let you define that. And you're thinking, I've wasted my life. There's not much I can do now. Listen, the thief on the cross did nothing. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He's not worried about that. If you start right now, come to Jesus right now, he will take you right now and begin to change your life and give you eternal purpose. And he will guide you. You say, I don't know what to do. That's right. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. And he wants to give you eternal life. John 6, 40 says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And then listen to this, And I will raise him up on the last day. 
I will resurrect them out of the grave. If you die in Christ, you will be buried in the ground. And when Jesus comes back, he says, I promise you, I was, I was raised from the dead and I'm gonna raise you from the dead. I will call you out of the dead when I return. And so this morning, I wanna ask you this. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you trusted in him? And you might say, yes, I have. Are you trusting in him now? Secondly, you might say, no, I have never put my faith in him. Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe what I've been preaching this morning? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that he rose from the dead so that you can live, so that he can now live in you and empower you to live for him? Do you believe that? And do you want that? Do you want to be made right with God? Have your sins forgiven? Well, then my question is, what are you waiting for? Why don't you put your faith in him this morning, right now, and not take another, let another day go by apart from Christ?